Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Friday Night with Friends broadcast. Today is Friday, December 4th, 2020, and we're excited to have you joining us once again. And as you can see, we've got a full panel of people with us tonight. Erica is going to be joining us and beginning to do even more with our digital campus, much like Vincent was on Wednesday night with our Bible study. And we've got Arash along for the show. And we have a very special guest tonight, and I'm going to let him introduce her. So at this point, Eric and I are going to disappear into the background. We'll both be watching the chat stream and interacting with you. And we'll come back in about half an hour to post your questions to Arash and our special guest. So Arash, take it away. I will take it away. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, I do have a, a quick announcement. We are doing a watch party after this, Mickey's Christmas. So don't forget about that. Um, where you will um, learn about um, Scrooge and uh, Tiny Tim. Um, uh, that's going to be after 8, 8 p.m. So uh, there'll be a link at newarcupc.info that you can click. So you do need Disney Plus to in order to participate. And then also, don't forget, we have our light show tomorrow at 5 p.m. And we're leaving at, from the church at 5 p.m., not 5.05, not 5.10, 5 p.m. If you come there at 5 p.m., you'll see a caravan of cars leaving the church. So um, if you want to participate with us, it's absolutely free. It is a 40-minute drive, and, um, and it's just something fun to do while it's safe. Um, so glad that Crystal is here tonight with us. Me and Crystal go way back uh, before seminary. We actually come from the same um, system of churches back in Michigan. Uh, she actually uh, went to my alma mater as well as Michigan State. Um, we both actually um, caravan together to UGST and uh, we did seminary there and we, we both graduated at the same time together. So uh, we have lots of fun stories. But what's so cool about Crystal right now, she's one of very few educators in chaplaincy. And I kind of wanted to like explain about this idea of chaplaincy, hospital chaplaincy. I think we, we sometimes are surprised when we go to the hospital and someone says, do you want a chaplain? You're, you think a chaplain, you're thinking that, you know, you're dying and it's the worst thing ever, but that's not the case. And, um, and Crystal educates these chaplains. So uh, I just want to kind of give it to you, Crystal, and you kind of, kind of expound on that, this idea of chaplaincy and, and kind of what you do. Yeah, well, thanks. I'm uh, grateful to be here and uh, hopefully we'll get to share some fun stories of Arash and I's uh, journey to uh, seminary together. Um, so it, what he didn't tell you uh, is that we took our very first clinical pastoral education unit together That's at right. a, um, a small community hospital. And so um, we were there together. And actually, I think we experienced our first death of a patient there together. And um, we actually went together in the intensive care unit. So um, we go way back to seminary, but we also go way back to hospital chaplaincy because we, uh, we both started at the same time um, in did. hospital chaplaincy. So let me tell you a little bit about kind of what I do right now. I am um, what they call a CPE certified educator. And so I work for uh, St. Joseph Mercy Hospital in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And um, our clinical pastoral education program, or also CPE, is um, accredited by the Association of Clinical Pastoral Education. And so um, that's a little bit about my current job. Um, I did more direct patient care um, a couple years ago when I worked in St. Louis, Missouri. I worked for Barnes Jewish Hospital and um, chaplaincy. So what is chaplaincy? 
It's uh, basically um, offering presence and offering um, spiritual support and uh, even religious support to patients and families and colleagues who are in the hospital. And it is um, a process of, I would say, assessing patient and family and colleague needs and providing um, the right resources for those people. And that may be connecting them to their own faith tradition or their own faith community. Um, or it, it might be saying a prayer with them or uh, maybe even reading a passage of scripture with them um, or helping them to connect to something that is really important to them. Uh, especially right now during COVID-19, uh, many chaplains help uh, patients, family, or patients connect with their families. Um, as I, I don't know what hospitals are in your area, but many hospitals don't allow visitors right now or they have restricted visitor policies. And um, so chaplains are helping with that. Uh, they're helping patients who are lonely and um, helping uh, families who feel maybe disconnected from their loved ones to maybe come in through um, an iPad or come in through some type of virtual technology. Um, so just like kind of how we're connecting here online today, um, chaplains are doing that same thing at the hospital. So. Wow. Um, that's a little bit. I don't know if you want anything more specific, Arash. No, that's that's good. And, and um, can you can you um, talk about the process uh, to become an educator? Because I don't think people are aware of what is required to just be an educator. If you could talk about that. Yeah. So um, before you can become a CPE educator, you need to be a board certified chaplain. And before you can become a board certified chaplain, you um, really have to go to seminary. So you go to seminary, you get your master's of divinity. And once you graduate, you could choose to do um, one unit of CPE like Arash and I did, or you might also choose to do a residency program at a hospital. Um, I did end up doing a residency where I had four units of CPE. And then when I was finished with that, luckily there was a position that became open at the hospital and I applied for that and I became a staff chaplain. And that allowed me to get um, about 2000 clinical hours. Um, so in order to become a board certified chaplain, you have to have 2000 clinical hours. You have to have an MDiv or an educational equivalency of that. And you need to, um, at the time, it was 28 competencies that you had to meet. I heard this year that it's 32, so I'm glad I got through when I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's 28 competencies, and um, you go up before a national committee, and um, it's a committee of chaplains, and they decide whether or not you've met those competencies. You write to them, and you also speak verbally to them. You share clinical examples. Then once you become a board certified chaplain, if you want to move toward becoming a CPE educator, you would start um, the CPE cert or the certification process for CPE educators. And um, in my case, that took uh, four years to become an associate certified educator and um, five years to become a fully certified CPE educator. So all in all, I started in 2011 and um, just this last year in 2020, um, I became a CPE educator. So yeah, it's yeah, a bit yeah. of a long process. Um, and uh, I, I definitely hope that more people from the UPCI will um, be interested in it. 
Um, I know that it, that may not be the path for everybody, but um, several people may even just start by taking one unit of clinical pastoral education. Um, so that's a, a little bit about the journey that doesn't share everything that one must go through to get there, but um, that gives you kind of a rough outline of, of my own process. And sometimes some people get through it quicker. Um, I did not. So four years was a, a good time for me. And um, I've heard of some people who it only took them two years. And so if jealousy wasn't a little bit of a sin, I'd be jealous of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so it's equivalent, if, if you allow me, it's equivalent of a PhD. Well, I, I don't know if it's equivalent, but it takes a similar amount of time. Um, I don't have a PhD. It's more of what they call um, a certification. So it's a very specific certification. And there are about, I think the last I heard, there was 307 um, CPE centers around the country. So if there's about 307 CPE centers around the country, I would say that there's probably anywhere from 300 to mm, maybe 700 CPE educators in the country. Wow. So if you think about 700 people out of all the people that live in the United States, it's, it's pretty specialized. Hardcore. Um, and what is the average age of all these educators? If you were to do a uh, kind of like a sample there, because so, you, you yeah, participate in conferences and. That's interesting. Um, a couple of years ago, they said that the average age was about 65. So there's several people who are entering the certification process, maybe as a second career or later in life. Um, but I have several CPE educator friends who are kind of around my age. Um, but when we do go to conferences, the, probably the majority of people I would say are over the age of 50 and 60. So, so Crystal, you, you educate uh, people to become chaplains. Yes, and um, I provide CPE for community pastors. So I work um, like in some of my CPE groups, I, I don't wanna be super specific about it, but I've had several um, pastors that have come and they may be taking a unit of CPE to learn more about chaplaincy or to learn more about pastoral care or maybe even how to provide care at time of death or learn a little bit more about grief and loss, learn about themselves. So um, I do train people to become chaplains, but I also work a lot with community clergy um, and seminary students who may be um, interested in taking a unit of CPE in their seminary journey. What does that give them, taking a unit of CPE? In seminary? I mean, what, what doors does it open for them, one unit of CPE? Well, um, it can open a lot of, a, a lot of doors. Um, most hospice agencies require their chaplains to have one unit of CPE. Um, some hospitals will hire um, in more rural areas. They may only require one unit of CPE. Uh, most hospitals though, especially if they're larger and maybe level one academic medical centers, most of them require at least four units of CPE. Um, I would say probably the best thing that people get out of a very first unit of CPE is really about their own pastoral formation and reflection and competence. And they get to kind of take a look at their own story and they get to take a look at who they are and 
they get to ask the questions of, you know, why, why am I a minister or, um, you know, what, um, you know, why do I do this, uh, same type of behavior every single time that I'm with people who are grieving or why do I feel uncomfortable, you know, when there's silence, um, maybe during pastoral counseling meetings or, um, you know, so there's a lot of introspection in that very first unit of CPE. So even if somebody doesn't want to become a hospital chaplain, it still can be really beneficial for them to take a unit of CPE. What benefits are there about being that introspective and self-reflection, you think, in a pastor's life or in an well, individual's? Yeah, I mean, there's so many benefits to it, I think, because, um, you know, even just even even beyond just the pastorate, you know, let's just take the local church. There's a lot of ministry that happens. And um, I, I noticed on the screen right before we started this live broadcast that it, it talked about um, uh, all disciples making all or something like that to that all extent. All making disciples of all, yep. All making disciples of all. And so, um, you know, it really helps people understand who they are as a person to understand their story um, and to understand how that comes with them into the ministry and the calling that God has given to them. Um, you know, some people might say, I've gone through a lot of suffering in my life. I wonder why. And a unit of CPE helps you discover that, you know, why, why does suffering happen? Or why do we go through times of grief and loss? Um, where is God in the middle of that? Um, where is our faith community in the middle of that? You know, how am I being supported in the local church? And um, how can I support other people who are going through grief and loss? So, um, you know, a unit of CPE, students get to form their own learning goals. Mm -hmm. And so the benefits are they get to work on those learning goals and learn through an adult education model what they want to learn. So it's hard for me to name everything because there's just so much someone can learn um, from taking a unit of CPE. And it's a lot about personal growth and um, so you think you, know, you become I, a, a more effective disciple by yeah. having that introspective and, and, yeah. and more about yourself? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, like I, I think of one example in my own life. Um, I used to be really busy with church work. I used to do a lot of stuff in the church and CPE helped me understand why, um, why I like to be busy. <laughs> And it helped me understand, you know, what was it that, that um, I was really wanting from that busyness. And I think that CPE really helped me slow down and helped me know more of, about my own worth in God and helped me know more about, um, you know, that probably if I maintained that busy lifestyle, uh, it, it probably could have been destructive to me and to my family mm -hmm. um, and definitely to my own church community. And I think CPE helps people explore those types of personal dynamics. Um, and it's always up to the person whether or not they want to keep doing the same thing, or maybe if they want to kind of reauthor their life and, and maybe try something different that might be more effective for them as a, um, a person in Christ or a, a person in the ministry. Awesome. Awesome. So you, you train these chaplains, these seminary students to become more introspective, more reflection, uh, and they get a one unit that can continue with units and they could be in hospice or they could take that training in pastoral care or, or as a, as a disciple. So they become more. Yeah, and, 
interestingly enough, chaplaincy um, even exists outside of the hospital. So um, there are chaplains that are on university campuses. There are chaplains that are in jails and prisons. Um, there are chaplains that are uh, businesses hire now to help uh, with their personnel because um, they have found that when people bring them their whole self to work, they're much more effective. They have a better work-life balance. Um, so instead of leaving their prayer life at the door, companies are finding that if someone can bring their prayer life in, into them at work, whenever they feel stressed or when they feel um, like they need some support, maybe that's more important for them. They'll be more effective and they will have a better work-life balance. Um, there's even a chaplaincy, obviously, in the police and the fire department. Then, of course, I've mentioned the hospitals, but um, nursing homes, uh, long-term care facilities, acute care hospitals, uh, community hospitals. I mentioned hospice. Um, and this is going to probably surprise you a little bit, but I even found out this year that there are chaplains for NASCAR, the, the racing the racing people, there's chaplains there, and there's chaplains at um, Tyson Chicken Plant. Oh. <laughs> they hire chaplains to help their employees. And wow. so that's kind of more corporate chaplaincy. Um, so there, it's just, it's a wide and growing field. And I think there's room for a lot of people that have different types of gifts and callings to, to work in it. And I think there's especially room for people um, you know, in our own faith tradition who are Pentecostal and um, who can bring the Holy Spirit with them uh, to, to these different environments and can really serve and help people. You said your whole self, they could bring their whole self together. Can you elaborate what you mean by that? Well, I think, I, I think there's been this idea that when you go to work, that you should leave kind of who you are and you should take on maybe the nature of that, that company. And I think that a lot of people are feeling frustrated. They're feeling burned out. Um, they're feeling um, a lack of meaning and purpose in their job. And part of that I think relates to, they're not bringing all of themselves to work. And, you know, I don't think that means that people will necessarily proselytize at work. I'm not sure companies are going to want that. But companies, I think, are growing in their understanding of people being able to bring all of themselves, you know, to bring their, um, their spirituality with them, their religion with them, their um, culture, their ethnicity, their, um, to bring their whole being, even some of their family values. You know, yeah. companies now, uh, Arash, I, I don't know a ton about this. I follow you and Meg on Facebook a little bit, but I think you just got done with having a little bit of a paternity leave. Is that correct? That is correct. It was awesome. Well, that's an example of a company supporting, I think, your whole self. Yes. They said, yeah. you know what? This is really important to provide this. And Arash is probably going to have a much better work-life balance and he's probably going to feel more fulfilled and more meaning in life if he can have this paternity leave. Yeah. And so I think that's a, an example of kind of bringing your whole self um, and companies supporting that maybe through chaplaincy and, and different, different areas as well. Hmm. Awesome. Um, what do you think is the hardest part of the job? Of being a CPE educator or a chaplain or kind of all of it? I think all of it. Yeah. 
Hmm. You pick. You've done it both, well, so you can talk about both. Yeah, I, I think um, I'll, I'll just share for me personally, because I can't speak for every chaplain. I can only speak for myself. But um, I think the hardest thing was the, the narrow focus on grief and loss. Mm. And um, what I found is when I worked in the congregation in the local church, there was grief and loss, but there was also celebration. There was weddings and ceremonies and, you know, obviously the corporate worship service. And there was kind of a mix of those types of, of ministries. In chaplaincy, there's a very specific focus to be with those who are suffering, to help in moments of sustaining people. And I think over a long period of time, you know, I've, um, I've been with hundreds, maybe even upward of a thousand people as they have died. And I think over time that, that was hard for me. Um, it was really rewarding. It's extremely meaningful. It's wonderful to, to be there and to help those patients and families at that time. But I would also say that it, it was challenging. And there were times that, you know, I, I cried and times when I felt, you know, I would go home and um, the stories of those patients and families would come with me. And um, I had to learn how to kind of let some of those stories go. So I think that's the hardest thing is to sit with those who are suffering when, um, you know, my purpose isn't to fix. Mm. My purpose is to sit with those who are suffering and to be with them in their grief. And honestly, I feel the only way I've ever been able to do it is through God's grace and God's presence. Because only God can sit with that type of suffering forever. I have limitations in my humanity. And um, so that, that, that makes it challenging for me. That, you're right, because when it's all said and done, they send in the chaplain. Yeah. Um, kind of to piggyback off that question, uh, what's one of the most memorable memories you have of being a chaplain so far? Something that has stuck with you and hasn't left you, if, it, if you're if okay to share it. Yeah. Um, I have so many stories that I could share. Um, I would say maybe one that was really positive that I was so grateful to be with was um, I remember one of my patients was a, a transplant patient and I was there with them uh, right before they were, they went into the OR to receive a transplanted organ and it saved their life. Um, and it was, it was very sacred to be there with them before in that moment, say a prayer with them. And, um, some of their, I don't know if you know much about this, but if, if you are on a transplant list, when they call, you come immediately and there's no time to wait for family. There's no time to wait. It's, it's, they have some pretty specific deadlines. And so I was there with that person even before their family could get there. And that, I think that was a very special moment. Um, so that's one of them. Um, I, I would say I have many stories. I have some probably sadder stories that I, I bring with me too. Um, and I, I, I don't know if I'll share those. I mean, I'm happy to share them if you think people would be interested, but we're, we're about the whole individual happy <laughs> and sad. Okay. Well, um, you know, I remember one patient that I worked with for a, a really long time. 
And um, I got really close to this patient. I had many conversations with them as they were dying. And um, I, I remember getting the, uh, the call when they had passed away. And, you know, I just, I felt so sad. Um, they were a young patient um, in their late 20s when they died of cancer. And um, I think they had done a lot of good grief work and it was very um, wonderful to be able to be with them as they did that grief work and to talk about, you know, what, um, what it means that they're never going to get married, that they were never going to have children, um, that they wouldn't be able to live the type of life that they had hoped that they would be able to live. And um, I still think of that patient um, from time to time. And I think about what they taught me and how incredible it was that they, they allowed me just to be there with them during that time and that process. Um, but each year around the time of the anniversary of their death, I, I think about them. Wow. And um, that was probably, um, it was nine years ago. And so wow. I, I still remember it just like it was yesterday goodness amazing um wonderful uh, do you feel with the pandemic that it's it's also going to change chaplaincy do you feel that it's i mean are you we're talking about zoom calls but i mean what does what does chaplaincy look like you know post pandemic Well, I mean, I think, yes, it definitely has changed um, since the pandemic has begun. Chaplaincy, excuse me, chaplaincy looks different. Um, I would say that I know some very innovative chaplains, though. And um, if there's one thing that I know about chaplains, they have the ability to adapt and often adapt pretty quickly. Because especially in healthcare settings, things change so quickly. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like after the pandemic. I will say that there has been a, a huge increase in articles about chaplaincy in the media and in social media. Um, you know, if you do just a search of some of the major uh, news headlines, uh, there's been a lot of talk about chaplaincy, especially in March and April and May and June. Um, so I would say that chaplaincy probably is a little bit more well known. Um, chaplains are considered essential healthcare workers. They're on the front lines, um, just like nurses and physicians and respiratory therapists and social workers. Um, there's so many people in the multidisciplinary care team and chaplains are one piece of that. And they're still there to, um, to provide comfort and care uh, for people who are hurting and suffering right now. So I don't know exactly how it's gonna change, um, I hope it will change for the better. I hope we'll get more positions for chaplains. I hope that we'll have increased education. Um, I will say I have just as many people applying for clinical pastoral education units. And um, you might think that people wouldn't want to be in the hospital at this time, um, but actually people do wanna be there. They wanna be there to help and um, to support um, the rest of the staff members and colleagues that are there. Um, so there probably will be some chaplains who contract COVID-19 and I, I hope that they'll be safe. And my prayer is that they'll, they'll continue to be safe. So that may be one way that it changes for some people on a personal level. Um, they may decide to stay in the hospital and some people uh, may decide that that's too much for them. Um, so I don't know exactly. I mean, I'm just kind of 
brainstorming out loud with you. No, I, I appreciate that. And because um, I know in, in a lot of ways, it's, uh, you know, COVID has uh, impacted um, different professions as well as, pat, you know, churches, as, as churches kind of start looking towards online and, and having that be a real community because there's real online people and they deserve attention too. And so I, I was just curious how uh, the chaplaincy track and, and, you know, what are the things that they're dealing with? Um, Cause it's, it has made people to become more creative and innovative uh, in this, in this environment. Um, yeah. It's just a hard time right now. You know, I think it's hard for local churches. I think it's hard for pastors and ministers and chaplains and, um, I think it's hard for everyone, you know, these, these types of changes and the things that are happening right now. And, you know, my prayer is that God will just sustain and God will bring healing to us. Um, and God will, um, bring protection to each of us, um, as we also use our common sense. So I will say, you know, that I do feel it's important to, to wear a mask and to social distance and, to, to do those types of things. And I am a chaplain and people may not like to hear that, but, um, you know, I do go into the hospital and I am there and I have seen, I have seen things and, um, I see things firsthand. And so, um, I do believe it's very important to, to try to keep ourselves safe right now. Um, and to try to be creative and flexible and, um, to have patience with people. Patience is really important right now because, People have a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. And, um, you know, the best thing I think we can do is, is really smile and love each other right now and support each other. And if somebody gets um, angry, they probably have a reason for it <laughs> because there's a lot going on right now. So, but the, those are my own personal opinions and I hold them. Uh, th that's my own personal opinion. So you don't have to take that. That's just me. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Thank you for sharing some of these. Uh, it's, it's such an amazing career. And I think people just don't realize that, yes, I can be a chaplain uh, for a cruise uh, ship. I can be a chaplain for basketball teams and football teams. Um, yes. I know U of M has their own chaplain, uh, University of Michigan, uh, which you're near yeah. in Ann Arbor. Um, so there's, it's just a growing field because I think the world realizes that you can't separate spirituality from people and it's, and it's part of us as individuals, as humans. And so it's, it's really amazing to see what, what's, what's, uh, what God is doing in the community, what God's doing in the world. So, yeah. And my hope is that as more people enter the field of chaplaincy, especially in our denomination and our faith tradition, that they can bring many of the things that they've learned back to their local congregations um, you know, in grief groups, yes. you know, grief groups are starting in churches. It's really important, um, that people learn a little bit more about pastoral care and then they bring that back to the local church. Um, and, and so there's, there's real benefit for it, um, both personally and in the local church. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's see if, uh, Desi can join us and, uh, I'm sure I don't want to hug up Hi, all the time. I'm doing an interview. Uh, I don't want to hug up all the time. <laughs> um, I'm Look, sure. Look, Rosh has to be a parent all at the same time. So. Hey. 
Crystal, you can talk to me if a Rosh needs to turn off his camera for a second. I'm going to turn off my camera for a second here. Hold on. Oh, I love kids. Let's have the kid <laughs> on the broadcast. <laughs> so, Crystal, I appreciate you coming on and giving us your time tonight. And Erica's gathered a list of questions from our church family. We're getting a lot of feedback, even as you're talking. What you don't know that we all do is we actually have a, a longstanding member of our church who is a heart transplant. And so when you were talking about transplants, oh. this, this church family can relate to that. And we'll get to some of those questions in a moment. But I just wanted, just for myself, this isn't even from the chat feature. I just find it interesting and, and wanted to see if you're willing to comment a little. I think back to my own childhood and even as a young adult, and I went to Bible college, my undergrad degree is in theology, and I trained to be a minister before ever coming to UGST. And chaplains were this like thing other people did you know like the one exception in my mind as a young man was you know we have a handful of military chaplains but like working in a hospital or a jail or a police department or something like that that wasn't really something we as Pentecostals I don't remember anybody ever in Bible college talking to us about that as a viable ministry opportunity that's something like the fill in the blank other denominations I won't name that's what they do. You know, we're not chaplains. And so do you see that beginning to change? And how is it as we as Pentecostals and where is opportunity for us? Are we welcome in chaplaincy? And do you see room for that? And, you know, our perspective and the moving of the spirit and et cetera, how does that play into that? And is this something that obviously you have chosen to spend your ministry and life doing this, but you mentioned you hope that other Pentecostals begin to see this as well. Why is that? Why do you think there is room for us and that it would be a good thing for us collectively as Pentecostals to begin to get more involved in this idea of chaplaincy? Well, um, I'll share something that I feel God spoke to me several years ago. Okay. I feel like um, God said to me that my ministry would be outside of the walls of the church. Mm. And at the time, I didn't realize exactly what that meant. And um, for several years now, though, um, as I have been kind of outside of the local church walls, um, not completely, but yeah. the majority of my ministry the majority is of outside your ministry of the local, isn't the local in the sanctuary of your local church. Yeah. Um, I feel like the Holy Spirit has walked before me and has guided me into places I have met um, so many Pentecostal patients, um, people who grew up in Pentecostal churches. Um, I remember in my very first unit of CPE, there was a man who said his dad was a, uh, a Pentecostal preacher and he had been away from the church for maybe 50 years. And um, he came back to God um, through his illness. And he came back to his Pentecostal faith that he had left so many years ago. And so um, I feel that, you know, wherever the Holy Spirit is there, that's where we should be. And so um, as the Holy Spirit walks and moves and guides us into, into the direction of possibly hospital chaplaincy, um, I, I think we, we follow so yes, I believe there's space. Um, I'd say that there's several people from Urchin Graduate School of Theology who have taken a unit of CPE. Right. Um, 
Right. And and are doing chaplaincy probably more so than I've ever known. Which is wonderful. And that's really where I got exposure. If if anybody's on the broadcast and you don't know this, Meg, Arash, me, my wife, Rachel, several of our guests, such as Crystal, we at some point we all interacted and were at UGST together. So that UGST is where I got exposed to this idea of chaplaincy. But I came to UGST at age 30. And so the first decade of my ministry after finishing Bible school, like I, I was oblivious to this. You know, I hadn't really heard of it in our circles. Well, I would say, you know, as our movement is growing um, educationally, so do the opportunities. And so, you know, there are some, even though you do not have to have a master's degree or even a bachelor's degree to take a unit of CPE, but we had yes. multiple variations of that question. So why don't we just yes. talk here for a second and, okay. and you talk about it. you've for the most part, you've answered my question and I appreciate that. And you're mm-hmm. demonstrating there's a lot of room here for us as Pentecostals and much we can bring to the table and we're welcome at this table. That's correct. We're welcome Absolutely. at this table. So we have multiple church members and Erica, I'm going to let her take the questions here, but in multiple different ways, ask that, okay, so like, do I have to go to seminary to do, because now you're describing this thing and people are going, huh, I could benefit from that. How? Like, do you have to be in seminary or do you have to have a master's degree to take CPE? No, you don't. Um, Some of it does depend on a local CPE center, whichever hospital you would want to take CPE at. Um, sometimes they have some requirements, but according to our standards for the Association of Clinical Pastoral Education, um, you the need national to have a guidelines. Hmm? You're talking about the national guidelines. The national guidelines. You have to have a, a high school diploma, and um, you know some places would want some education. Of course, they wouldn't turn you away if you had a bachelor or a master's degree, but you don't have to have it. And I've worked with students who don't have a bachelor degree. That's good to know. So you personally have had CPE students who were not in seminary or actively in a pastoral role. People from the community can take a CPE class. Yeah. And in other faith traditions, they sometimes call these lay leaders. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I have a lot of people in other traditions who are lay leaders. So they're not the pastor of the church, but they may be a deacon or a deaconess, or they may be a ministry leader. That's probably what we would yeah. call them. Right. Or, uh, you know, I know you all have like a past, a team pastor approach. Um, and so I've had people that are kind of in that team pastor approach come. Right. But no, you do not have to go to seminary. The problem is, is that um, after a unit of CPE, some of the board certified chaplain requirements and to become a CPE educator, you do have to have some of those things, but, um, but to gain knowledge and the skill sets you're talking about that, that is available to people, even if they're not in seminary or an ordained minister. Yep. And the reality is, is that if you're in a more rural hospital, Sometimes with one or two units of CPE and maybe even a bachelor degree, they may say, we'd like you to be our chaplain because that depends on the hospital. That's up to them to decide. Um, But I think it's a lot of personal benefit that people can have by taking a unit of CPE. And of course, they get, you know, they get to be in the hospital and they get to care for patients and families and they get to help. Um, I will say one thing. Uh, the goal of chaplaincy is not to proselytize. 
And so if there was a, um, if there was anything that I would say is there are different environments and even scripture talks about those who plant and those who water the seeds and those who grow the seeds and chaplaincy is not necessarily the place to proselytize. Um, but it may be a place to provide care, to provide comfort, um, and to be with those who are suffering, which is very important. Absolutely. Sounds almost like ministry, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to shut up now. Erica, by now, there's we have a very active chat stream tonight. So, so take that crystal as a compliment. People are interested in what you're talking about. Let's see if you can pull some of these questions forward, Eric. Okay, I'm going to go straight to the funny one, just because that usually doesn't get said. Um, our senior pastor asked, "Is does Arash have any funny stories about Crystal, or Crystal have any funny stories about Arash? <laughs> They're so, Crystal's so polished and so polite. We'll see if she's willing to do Well, that. I'll share, I will share one thing that Arash did for me one time that I thought was just wonderful. We were both in seminary and um, I, for the first couple of months, I moved to St. Louis with $200 in hand that I thought I was going to live on $200. And Arash and I, this was before any student loans were available. We were like in Rhonda Morley's office asking like, when are the student loans coming? Like we both came from MSU and there was like nothing. Like we were eating eggs and like you know, like sneaking meals from the cafeteria, you know, Uh (laughs) begging them for candy and stuff, you know. But um, so I went several months with actually, I didn't have a mattress. And I Hmm. finally got a mattress and I put it on the top of my car and Arash helped me get that into my apartment. And I've never forgotten that. That's always been such a wonderful thing. Um, But Arash may want to tell you the story about candy. Do you remember that story, Arash? Would you want to share that with everyone? <laughs> the story about candy. Um, and it may have something to do with a special person in our movement. Yes. Um, there was a time. Uh, <laughs> hold on one second. I got, you guys, I need to go search this. Um, that's just... This is what my life is now. But uh, um, we we had a we had a there was an event at UGST and there was some candy, and um, and I remember they usually have you know events out and people it's just for you know people can walk up and, and they could take whatever they want and so I remember I went up and I I tried to grab one and then a uh, a very highly esteemable uh, public figure um, didn't like that um, he grabbed the candy away from me. And then he used his, um, he took it away and then he put it away and he, um, the candy wasn't available to you. No, it wasn't available to me. That was, that's what he was trying to like, say like, this isn't your candy. You shouldn't be taking this candy. Um, so for other people, but not for a rush. This is non Arash candy. This is non Arash candy. Um, let me say in Arash's defense, sister Gail Yoder, if she's on this broadcast, I don't know if she is, but she would always put out this special candy when this special person would come into the office. And so we thought that it was available. Um, but it was special gold packeted, um, chocolate candy. And um, for this I, individual, guess, huh? 
I guess Arash doesn't want to tell you who this individual was, but I'm not going to say. You can you can say the individual's name. It's fine. Okay. I, well, he happens to be Brother Bernard. Yeah, we, we kind of figured that. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. Erica, you got some other questions? Yes. Um, there is a question from Sister Betty Jones. She said, um, how do you prepare your students to understand not all people react in expected ways to grief. Uh, and then she also says that some people were shocked that there was laughter in their house the night that her husband passed. Good question. Yeah, so people do react very differently. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the way that I prepare students is by allowing them to share stories of um, what they've encountered in their patient care experiences. You know, I've had people who have laughed. I have had people who have cried. Um, I have had people who have walked out of the hospital before their loved one died and never come back mm. because they did mm. anticipatory grief. Um, it's not that they didn't grieve. It's that they had been grieving for a long time and they were okay leaving. That's a good um, point. And I, I have had people um, laugh and share wonderful memories of their loved ones. Um, so I think the way that I do that most with students is just by talking aloud about it. Just simply giving people permission to tell their stories, huh? Yeah. And I also invite students to think about their own reactions and that their own reactions may be very different than the reactions of other people. So just because you might cry, somebody else may not cry. Um, but I have found Good, that- those students who are willing to cry often will find patients and families who want to cry. Hmm. So it almost gives them permission to express that emotion. Yeah. Wow. Erica, there, there's, there's many, many questions. So go ahead, keep them coming. Okay, so I'm gonna group two questions because I think they go together. Um, one is from Sister Moss and the other one is from Joyce. Um, Sister Moss said, uh, when and why did you become interested in becoming a chaplain? And then Joyce said, how was chaplaincy, uh, how has chaplaincy built or challenged your faith? Oh, well, um, I, I, became, <laughs> <laughs> I became interested in chaplaincy. I lived in Yellowstone National Park for a summer and that was the first time that I had worked outside of our denominational context um, in a kind Actually of- Actually lived in the national park? I did, yeah. I lived in Yellowstone National Park. And I that was really, friends. it was the, the first time that I had been out, been with people outside of just the UPCI. And I just, I, I loved it. I loved being with people. Um, I would say, yes, chaplaincy has challenged my faith, but I would say in good ways. Um, it's invited me and encouraged me to have a deeper theology, to have a theology of suffering, to have a theology of grief, um, to, and I keep mentioning that because I think those are some areas that while they're challenging, it's very important. You know, so, if you think about what God says about suffering and what the Bible says, your own beliefs, your own history, your personal narratives related to suffering, if you can think about that sometimes when you're going through something or even after the fact, I think it helps you grieve um, and it, it helps you mourn. 
Um, and it helps you know that it's okay to grieve mm-hmm. and it's okay to mourn. That's right. Um, and I think Ecclesiastes chapter three really helps me with that because it says there's a season, there's different seasons. It's not always about joy. Um, and sometimes while you may go to the altar and you may, um, you may have a wonderful time praying and receiving the Holy Spirit and feeling joyful, you may get out to your car and still feel some of those same feelings of sadness um, as you go back to situations that are sometimes out of your control in your home or in your work environment. Um, And I think that um, chaplaincy has helped me bring a balance in my theology. So you mentioned the Yellowstone part. Thank you for talking about how it's challenged and helped grow your faith. But what does Yellowstone have to do with chaplaincy? Was it there that you were exposed to something or what, what happened? Oh, yeah. So I was, a, I was a ministry staff leader there and I did okay. 10 services with a team of people on Sundays for uh, park members and visitors. Um, and, you know, I think probably... Uh, The most challenging thing is that sometimes this path, I feel like I've walked alone. Mm. Um, And I I don't say that to to feel prideful. I say that because I think that's actually part of the struggle for me. Um, I don't know of any other UPCI CPE educators. There isn't. And so I think that the struggle has been, as I have gone, sometimes people don't understand. And it's been up to me to try to articulate it at the same time while trying to figure out my own theology. What it is you're actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you got to figure it out and defend it and explain it all at the same time. But I will say I've had a lot of support from family and friends, and I really Mm -hmm. think you know, UGST and the different churches and different pastors I've been involved with who have really supported me um, at the local level and the national level. So I appreciate that. Okay, there's another question that kind of goes along with what you just said. Do you find chaplains are open to getting counseling to help them process a load they carry? Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, I... Um, I personally have been in counseling uh, to help me process. And I feel like counseling is a really, really important um, piece of chaplaincy um, and pastoral ministry and the local church ministry. And I think it's, it's very helpful. Um, I, I do think it's important to uh, choose a counselor that is open to faith and spirituality. Um, and I also think that, um, yeah, I guess that's what I want to say about that. Okay. So the next questions are, I'm going to kind of group them all together because they're about, um, CPE courses. Um, how much do they cost? How long are the units for CPE classes? And do you know if they are offered like online? You've peaked a lot. I will say this, just looking through the chat comments, you started talking about that and you are with a group of people who like to learn. And so you've peaked interest with multiple people who are a bunch of learners hadn't heard of this and they'd like to know more about it. (laughs) Well, I would say um, the answer to that question is at the local CPE center level. So you can go on. It can vary from place to place. Um, 
I will say that all of my CPE units are online right now. Hmm. Um, but most of the people that I work with uh, live within an hour to an hour of the hospital system that I'm at. Um, so yeah, some places are online. The tuition and the cost varies from center to center. And you can go on acpe.edu and you can look up local CPE centers in your area. So can I, you I believe that? A acpe.edu. Like accredited so, clinical pastoral education.edu. Yeah. The Association of Clinical Pastoral Education. So ACP. I just put a link in our chat stream. Thank you for sharing that. And I believe you can look it up by center. So that should help. And there are scholarships. Are they not? I think me and you had a scholarship when we did it, didn't we? That also varies from center to center. So not every center will have a scholarship possibility. Um, and I forgot to mention the length of the program. That also varies by local. But I will give you general descriptions. Most programs have extended units where they're either between 16 weeks and 28 weeks long. And they also have residency units that are usually full year um, programs. They're paid positions. And you or usually you're take- working in a system, in a hospital. Yep, you work at a hospital. And you either take generally three to four CPE units per year. So that by the time that year is over, you have enough to become a board certified chaplain minus the clinical hours that you will need beyond that. Okay, um, there's another question from Meg. She asked, um, what is the percentage of oneness Pentecostal chaplains in the hospital chaplaincy nationwide? And if there is any as supervisors? Well, I think I'm the only CPE educator. Um, well, let me rephrase that. You're saying oneness? Yes, that's what the so oneness Pentecostal, is. not necessarily the UPCI. We do have some other um, oneness. I would say that maybe, maybe not three. just educators, but just chaplains. Like, are you aware of other Pentecostal oneness chaplains? Some, yeah. I think I can think of uh, maybe five to 10 people. So this is still not a big field, even within our movement. No. No, there's definitely room for growth. Mm, amen. Okay, so this is another question from Joyce. Um, she asked, how do you minister to people from other religions as a chaplain? Well, all chaplains are trained to um, have a spiritual assessment process where, and I use a specific model that helps me assess what people's needs, hopes, and resources are, and also helps me um, plan interventions and kind of think about hope for outcomes. So I mentioned that because that helps me know with working with people of other religions or other faith traditions, what their needs, what their hopes, what's their, what their resources are, so that I can provide care that is in alignment with that. Um, what I have often found is that I have many people who are Christian, um, many people who identify as Christian, but they do not attend local churches. And um, according to Pew Research, 
probably 33% of people in the United States right now are what they call unchurched. So they have a belief in God, but they don't necessarily go to a local church. And One out of that three is, adults. Hmm? One out of three adults. I think it, the last, the latest number was like, yeah, like 33. Yeah. That's, that's hmm. like one out of every three adults you meet out in public don't regularly attend church somewhere. Yeah. So I have found that, um, you know, a lot of them will ask for very similar things that people from a Pentecostal tradition would ask for, such as prayer, or they may want someone to read scripture to them. Or they may want someone to sit there and um, talk with them about their loved ones. And they may want to talk about their family and what's going on in their life. I will say outside of Christianity, I work with people. And um, one thing I love about chaplaincy is I'm not going to be the resource for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many other chaplains in the hospital that sometimes can help if there's something that I cannot do or something that falls outside of my faith tradition. So, you know, chaplains are ordained and licensed through their own faith tradition for a reason. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why is because, you know, I, I don't want to leave my faith tradition. I'm there because of my faith tradition. Right. That's an opportunity and it's a responsibility. There is also a limitation in that I'm not going to be able to, to meet everyone's needs. But there are other chaplains who can. Yeah. Okay, there's another question from Regina. Um, she said, we've talked about chaplains helping in hard times. Do chaplains get involved in any happy times? Yeah. Um, I think that the transplant example was a very happy time. Um, I have been asked to do weddings in the hospital. I've been asked to do baptisms. Um, I was asked to do a baptism in the intensive care unit one time, and this woman wanted a full immersion baptism. And um, interestingly enough, we were getting ready to do it, and then she was kind of discharged. So her local pastor decided to do that instead, um, which I think was better. But yeah, there's, there are some fun, fun times. Um, I would say, uh, I guess it depends on what you think is fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, usually people are not in the hospital because they're having lots of fun yeah i mean we do worship services and prayer services and i work i work in a faith-based institution right now and i love it so you know we begin every meeting with a prayer or a meditation or a reflection and that's very life-giving to me so that's kind of fun um you know i get to read some fun books sometimes that's kind of nerdy but uh <laughs> and I've got one more question. Um, do you think that taking CP, CPE courses can help build um, someone to become a better disciple for Christ? Yeah, absolutely. Do I'm we, not sure I need to expound on that, but yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, she teaches these classes for a living, so she probably finds value in them. <laughs> would you, would you, I'm adding this and uh, 
this is my pastoral cap coming on, but, but would you say you would recommend this for people who are a little bit more grounded in the scriptures or somebody who's brand new, a babe in Christ to do CPE or <laughs> you think they could, they could, you know, I don't know. I'm I just... would say that it's really important to talk to your local pastor <laughs> and to, um, <laughs> to talk to your ministry team and your local pastors and see if it's something that would be helpful for you. Um, I do think it's important to be grounded in your faith. Um, I think that it's important to know that not everyone is called to be a chaplain and not everyone is called to take a unit of CPE. So it may not be for everyone. Um, it, it may be for some. Um, but one of the things you've demonstrated tonight, which we appreciate, is you've also made it clear that you don't just have to be a hospital chaplain to take CPE. That's you don't right. just have to be in seminary or an ordained minister to take CPE. There's, no. there's value in this. Yeah. Yep, you're right. So I will say it's a bit broadcast, of a deconstructive process. Okay, so explain that. I, I know what you mean by that. But when you say it's a bit of a deconstructive process, for someone who's uninitiated, what would that so, mean? So CPE educators, at least, no, I don't want to speak for everybody. I'll just speak for myself. I ask a lot of why questions. Yeah. And part of those why questions is to help people reflect and to explore and to name and things like that. So it and can be somewhat their own experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So deconstructive in the sense that that if someone's interested in this, they need to understand going into it that a big part of the process is that you're going to be asked lots of questions about why you believe what you believe, why you think the way you think, why did you react this way in this situation? Why do you have these feelings? Lots and lots and lots and lots of why questions. Yeah, and I would say too that you have two local people, um, Meg and Arash, who took a unit of CPE. And so you can always like ask them questions too um, and see, you know, they've taken it so they can tell you um, how they felt about it. Um, but those are local people and you may have more in your congregation. I don't know. Did you take a unit, Desi? I actually did with Joey Payton as a, get this as an MTS student. So for those of you who are uninitiated as part of a master of a divinity program, but I have a master's in theology. So I'm not in the same set of classes that Meg and Arash and Crystal took, but I saw some value in it and I was curious about it. So I did it with Dr. Payton while I was there as one of my elective classes. Brother Moss, one of our uh, senior pastors, um, he, um, he, he did chaplaincy in, in the he was, he was for, but he was a, he was a hospital uh, not a hospital but a uh, fire and police chaplain in his local community in Oklahoma yeah. before he came to us he served for many years as a chaplain to the local police department and local fire department that's correct so, yes so yeah thank you so much we are at the top of the hour but crystal we want to thank you so much for joining us tonight and just being willing to talk about it if nothing else just exposing our congregation to another really neat area of ministry that has a lot of room for growth and perhaps it's something people have not thought about before if this piqued your interest tonight and you're a member of our church and you want to explore this a little further by all means reach out to one of us on the pastoral staff as she mentioned, Megan Arash in particular, as part of their training program at UGST, took classes. Arash even took one along with Crystal. We could talk to you about that. Crystal, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you. 
If you happen to be watching for the first time and you're a guest tonight, welcome to our broadcast. We broadcast six days a week, Tuesday through Sunday at 7 p.m. On Wednesdays and on Friday, these broadcasts are live so we can interact with the audience and take questions from them. If you want to find out more information about our church and what we're doing right now with our digital campus, especially in light of this COVID pandemic, you can find all kinds of information about us at newarcupc.info. That's newarcupc.info. And on that website, you can find out about our small groups. You can find out about what we're doing with our December special events, such as one of them that's going to start in a few minutes right after this broadcast as we do a Christmas carol watch party. You can submit prayer requests. You can submit baptism requests. You can partner with us in giving pretty much anything you want to find out about our church and how to connect with us. You can do on our website at newarcupc.info. So once again, we thank you all for joining tonight. God bless you. We pray you have a wonderful evening. And for those of you who are available and you've looked at our website and followed the instructions because there was a little bit of pre-work you had to do, we may see you in a few minutes for our Mickey's Christmas Carol online watch party. Thanks, everyone.